I hope that you're getting my emails and I hope you're hearing me when I say I really appreciate your participation in this class. This has been on my mind for a long, long time. I've told you my story, right? I was baptized in the Vista Church of Christ, which is North San Diego County, when I was 17. Baptized on May 13th, it was a Saturday. Um, graduated high school in June, went back to White's Ferry Road and went through their one-year study of the Bible and then went back home to San Diego to begin college. And I started at the little junior college in my hometown. Well, when I got back, Charlie Clinker, you guys know Charlie Clinker? He was in the Navy at, in San Diego and his aunt, or should I say aunt, for those of you from Virginia, my, my daughter-in-law is from Virginia, so I have to learn to say aunt. My, his aunt was a member at the Vista Church of Christ, so Charlie and I have known each other for 40 years. Well, he and I and the minister, the preacher, we started a Bible study together. And one of the things that Charlie and I did is we joined, there was a Bible bookstore downtown San Diego called Bobo's. Bobo's yeah. Bible Bookstore. Bobo's Bible Bookstore. You remember him? Buy your books at bargain basement prices. <laughs> 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 I know the store will. So Fred was over at 7th and Orange in Escondido. I was at the Vista Church, and they're, what, 10 miles away from each other. Um, anyway, we started, was it Jim Bobo? Yeah, it Jim Bobo. Jim Bobo had a program where you signed up, and he would send you a, a Bible book to start building your library um, every 60 days. You had, you had options. And yeah, I signed a, up. He was a professional magician uh, that, before he became a Christian. And opened his bookstore. And then he became a Christian and opened that bookstore. Well, Charlie and I decided, I said, I need a set of commentaries. And so I bought a set of New Testament commentaries by a gentleman named James Burton Kaufman. Do you remember that name? Yes, I know him. Well, James Burton Kaufman was a uh, Bulldog Church of Christ champion. He also adamantly believed that there was a, an error of grave magnitude in all of our modern English translations in that they translated Pistis Christu as a sinner's faith in Christ. And he hammers, as he tended to do, that it should be the faith of Christ. So I'd only been a Christian a little over a year, and that seed was planted in my mind by none other than James Burton Kaufman. And he does it in his Galatians commentary, of course, his Ephesians, his Philippians, and his Romans commentary. He has since passed away. He passed away. He was preaching in Houston. I was preaching in North Houston when he passed away. I forget the name of his congregation, but all of his commentaries are now available online. Um, so you can go take a look at some of his comments. Um, and they should be very familiar to you by now. <laughs> uh, okay, so, when it, so I've been presenting this throughout my preaching and teaching career for 40 years now. And honestly, I got to be honest, it's never fully received. Um, paradigms 
change difficult, uh, with difficulty. As I said in my email today, with, with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, but I, I, I think it's right. And so um, the question I always get, and it's not only from people who take my classes, but it's also in the debate that's out there brewing. Well, if you take away these eight passages where Paul says pistis Christu and you make them say the faith of Christ, which is the literal translation in Greek and Latin and German and all the other languages, then Paul, you're, you're, you're taking away from Paul's basic premise, his fundamental theological point of all of his writing, and that is that you're saved or justified by faith in Christ. And I say, hooey to that. Paul knows how to speak the language. He knows how to say what he wants to say. So tonight, for the first 15 or 20 minutes, I'm going to show you Paul knows how to say a sinner's faith in Christ. When he wants to say a sinner's faith in Christ, he knows exactly how to say that. And thankfully, the Greek language gives him lots of opportunities to do that. And I'll show you those in the first 15 or 20 minutes. So, Lesson 9, Part 1, A Sinner's Faith in Jesus Christ. So, I said in my email today, I've said it last, uh, both emails this week, in the second half of the book, I move from what I say is a coherent proposal. It makes sense of the, the eight verses to a comprehensive proposal. Does it uh, make sense of the verses? Does it account for all of the New Testament teaching? Is there anything in Paul's theology that is contradicted? If you, if you decide that his expression, pistis Christu, should be the faith of Christ rather than a sinner's faith in Christ, I say no. He still believes in justification by faith. Nothing changes. Does it take all of Paul's teaching into account? I say yes. All of the New Testament teachings uh, taken into account, I say yes. So let's begin. When Paul wants to say a sinner's faith in Christ, does he know how to do that? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. He says faith in him. He says faith into him. He says faith upon him. The, the bottom line is Paul has and Paul uses a variety of Greek prepositions to communicate the nuances of a sinner's faith. And to me, it just bolsters the argument that when he says pistis Christu and does not use a preposition, but rather renders it in the genitive, he, he knows what that's going to mean. He knows because that's what it means. And that's what I tried to show you several lessons ago. So, as I've told you, there are two prepositions for the English word in. In Christo Yesu emphasizes location. 
Where is your faith located? Ace is another preposition that emphasizes or indicates movement, like Joseph Henry Thayer says. Properly, it's in English, it would be into. But literally, it's motion, and I like this, not only motion into, but motion into that creates union with. This is one of the nuances of the preposition. So when Paul says we are baptized into Christ, or when Luke says repent and be baptized into Christ, he's saying enter into Christ so that you may become in union with Christ. That becomes extremely important um, later on. So let's take a look at some of these. I've already shown you this. Let me show it, you, show it to you again. Ace is one of the two prepositions that means in. It involves movement. In, E-N in English, uh, emphasizes location. Um, if anybody's ever taken Greek, you've seen this little chart or some version of it. This is from Dana and Manley. Um, uh, Bill, uh, um, Bill Mounts has his own version of it. I like this. This one helps me. <laughs> the uh, the, this, the uh, wanderer is moving into the lion, right? And now where is he located? He is located in the lion. So those are kind of illustrations of the two prepositions um, at Paul's disposal. And he uses both of them. So uh, examples abound. These are just a few. And I told you I have that computer program so I can find them. They're there in, in droves. All right, here's just a few. He says in Galatians 3.26, You are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Where is your faith located? Your faith is located in Christ Jesus. And that's what makes you children of God. There's your genitive, children, God, no Greek preposition for of. This is in the genitive, children, technia, theou. How do you translate it in English? Well, there's no question about it. It's children of God. That's how you translate it. Here's another one. Uh, well, that's that one. Faith is located in Christ Jesus. Here's another one. He is propitiation through faith in his blood. Where is our faith located in this statement? In his blood. Why? Because his blood affects the propitiation. Without the shedding of blood, there is no propitiation, forgiveness. So where's my faith located? It's not only located in Christ Jesus, it's located in his blood. So again, does Paul know how to tell me that he wants my faith to be in Jesus Christ? Yes, specifically in his blood. Faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. So I'm just showing you that it's Jesus Christ, it's Christ Jesus. But here's the point. Paul's ability to communicate he is a very educated man. He knows how to communicate in the Greek language, probably trained in rhetoric. Lots of indications from his uh, writing, 
that he knew the principles of ancient rhetoric. Okay, so does Paul know how to describe where he wants a sinner's faith to be located? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. I didn't put it up there. But open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Whoever gets there first, read it out loud. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Beautiful. Somebody else read it. What translation is that, Gary? This is New English. New English. All right. Somebody else read it in another translation. So that your faith might rest not on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Okay. So they, they have a different preposition. Epi. On. You're said in, right, Gary? Yes. Okay. Somebody else have anything different? That your faith might not stand on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Okay. And that's the... So that's Dewey Reams. Okay, so stand, your said stand as well, right? Or did your say rest? Rest. Rest. Now, rest and stand are not in there. You realize that that happens all the time in translation, right? The word rest is not in there. The word stand is not in there. Here's what it says. In order that the faith of you, there's the, there's the genitive. Okay, that pronoun is in the genitive. Here's the, here's the, the noun, pistis. So the noun, whose who's, who's faith? Of you. Your faith. Y'all. Well, that's not even, that's singular. All y'all. All y'all. The faith of all y'all. Not, okay, this is may, this is negates. It should be, this is the, this is the subjunctive to be verb. So it should not be, where does he not want it to be? In, see there's your preposition, in Sophia, wisdom, anthropon, there's your genitive, plural, men, but how do you, what do you, what do you, what do you have to provide there? See there's nothing there. There's no preposition, so it's the wisdom of men. See, that's the way you translate this, the genitive, always. But in, there it is again. Where does he want it to be located? He doesn't want your faith located in the wisdom of men, but in power, feu, there's your genitive again, another illustration of God. This is the power of God. That's what I'm saying. Pistis Christu, faith of Christ. To say that that means the power in God, the faith in Christ, the sinner's faith in Christ, is a mistrans... It's, it's being driven by something other than the grammar of what's being said. My thesis is it's being driven by the battle cry of the Protestant Reformation. That's my thesis, right? Okay, so there you go. Okay, so that's in. Where does he want our faith to be located? Say it with me. In Christ. Does Paul know how to say a sinner's faith in Christ? Thousand yes. Times yes. Thousand times yes. Thank you, Fred. He uses another preposition. Into. A sinner's faith into Christ. Here's our, here's our verse. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works 
of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. This is not my translation. This is the King James Version and every English translation prior to the <coughs> King James and every English translation up until what year? Thank you. Just checking. You're good students. Uh, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we, remember I said last week, what's the context here? We who? We Jews. Yeah, we're teaching Gentiles that they have to believe into Jesus Christ so they can be justified by the faith of Christ. Hey, this applies to us Jews too. That's the context. Even we Jews have believed into Jesus Christ. Does Paul know how to say that he wants you to be believers into Jesus Christ? Yes. But that's different than what he says here. That's my point. Two different things. He's saying two different things. And that's why we have believed into Jesus Christ. Why, Paul? Why have you, both Jew and Gentile, believed into Jesus Christ so that, here's his purpose statement, Hena Clause. This is the reason why we believe into Jesus Christ, so that we might be made righteous by the faith of Christ. So Paul knows how to say what he wants to say. What's the issue? Well, if you believe that a sinner is justified by his or her faith in Christ, and that's all that is required, you don't want that verse to say that. You want it to say what it says in most of our English translations, right? But that's what a lot of people are working on. Um, guys like, um, here's N.T. Wright. Uh, got that on library alone. This one is another one. Who did that? You did the research, right? Bible Gateways. Tell us about your research. Uh, the 59 English translations presented in Bible Gateways, 38 use the faith in Christ up above, 18 use the faith of Christ, and three say faith in Christ but put a note in the possibility of Christ. So almost 36% of the Bible Gateway English translation use faith of Christ. Yeah, there's a huge there's a huge movement saying we really miss this. We really need to rethink this. And I think those of us in the American Restoration movement need to be a part of that conversation because it makes sense. All right. Okay, other examples. Paul's use of prepositions. Here's one that is upon. It's uh, your your faith is upon him. The one who believes upon him, a P is up above or resting on. Uh, here's another, prostontheon. John loves this expression. What does that mean? The faith of you toward God. Your, your, your faith is moving toward God or toward the Lord. Paul uses this one. The point is when Paul wants to say a sinner's faith in something, he knows how to say that. And the Greek language it has ample tools for him to say that. And he uses it over and over. So, Paul knows how to say it. This is, this is my help to me. So what's the point? The point is, Paul also says, the faith of Christ. That's what it looks like. There's your genitive. There is no preposition for of. 
but it's pistua, pisteos, yisu, yisu Christu, the faith of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, and this is the argument I make in the book. Gets a little beyond your English, you know, you got to get into the Greek uh, criticism, uh, textual criticism. So I'll skim through this, but, but here's the point. We have 5,800 transcripts of the New Testament in our possession. They date anywhere from 200 to medieval times. There are guys a whole lot smarter than me that have that scoured these things. And they come up with what looks like this. This is the fourth revised edition. I think there's a sixth or seventh revised edition out. This is Kurt Allen's New Testament. But you go in there and he will tell you, he will alert you that there are major textual variations between some of these manuscripts, okay? The point is nowhere, nowhere, are we listening? Nowhere in the 5,800 manuscripts that we have in our possession does anyone go in and correct Paul in these eight instances? This is very significant. Because on its face, what does it say? It says the faith of Jesus Christ. Wow. What if Paul really means a sinner's faith in Christ? And everybody knows that. But he uses an expression that on its face seems to say the faith of Christ. Wouldn't you imagine that somewhere in those 5,800 New Testament manuscripts, there would be a note from some scribe copying that, maybe in the margin, that, oh, I'll put it over here in the margin. I'll just make a note. This really means the sinner's faith in Christ. Or I'll just insert a useful preposition here when I'm making this copy, and it will say, Pistu ace Jesu Christo, faith into Christ Jesus, which is one of Paul's favorite expressions. Don't you think you'd see that happening if this was ambiguous? You would. Let me show you an example. Here's an example of what happens. This is Mark 9.42. What is this saying? It's saying... And if, these two words together mean if, if anyone, is really how you pronounce, uh, translate that into English, if anyone scandalizes, you see, I guess you can't, if you know Greek, that's S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-S-O-S-A-S-E, scandalize. If anyone scandalizes one of these microns, these little ones, you know what verse I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Of mine, these little ones of mine, here's the genitive again at work. These are little ones that belong to him. These, and there's your word, pistuo, these believing ones. 
If anyone scandalizes, if anyone, we say it in, in English, causes to stumble, one of these little ones that believe. That believe what? In me. In me. Is that what your version says? In English. Any notation there? Well, guess what? It's a little bit ambiguous. So guess what you get repeatedly in these 5,800 manuscripts? You get an insertion of the preposition ace and me, into me. If any of these little ones are caused to scandalize who believe what? In me. But guess what? That's not there in the original. And these guys will bring this to your attention. See? And he'll say things like this in his little commentary on it. He says, the presence of Ace Ami is strongly attested. This appears all over the place in various manuscripts. But we found after, and they gave it a C, which is not a very good rating. They said it shouldn't be there. We don't believe it's in the original. Because blah, 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 and he goes on to explain. Here's my point. Again, you get my point, right? Paul says that there are two categories of human faith. One is the faith of sinful human beings. And if you're in that category, he tells you exactly where he wants you to locate your faith, and that is in Christ Jesus, in the blood of Jesus Christ into Christ. He wants your faith to move you into Christ. But he has a second category. The faith of the one perfect human being, Jesus Christ. The first one moves the sinner into Christ, and the second one makes the sinner righteous. That's what the text says. And these two categories, nowhere are they confused in the Greek manuscripts. When do they become confused? Uh, late 1500s some doctrine kind of came up in the early 1500s about a sinner being saved by faith alone it's all about our faith alone in Christ Jesus it took about a hundred years and then the next hundred years it sort of took over the landscape so that now we don't even know anything about the faith of Christ it's all about our faith in Christ. That's my thesis. That's the fe thesis of N.T. Wright. That's the thesis of uh, Richard Hayes, Luke Timothy Johnson. That's what's going on in the New Testament scholarship world. And we need to be a part of that conversation. That's my point. Questions? Comments? What's the difference? Keep coming to class. You'll get it. Your faith doesn't make you righteous. Your faith moves you into Christ. His faith makes you righteous. So what's the difference? I don't know how to explain it. Does anybody know how to explain it any better than I just explained it? Dawn and I have been having this conversation for three years now. It requires that I have faith, my faith, in the faith of Christ. But your faith, and here's what we've been saying in church, in the American Restoration Movement, and people haven't been listening because I don't think we're quite explaining ourselves properly. 
A sinner's faith moves the sinner to do something. Accept the faith of Christ. To move into Christ. We're going to get to, not tonight, next time, not next week, because remember June 5th, nobody's here. We're uh, best friends. Best friends. Peter says, this water now saves you. Just like in the time of Noah. What did they have to do? Their faith had to move them into the location where God made salvation available. The ark. He says that's exactly like the new covenant. You need to move yourself into the place where God has made righteousness available to sinful human beings. And that place is Jesus Christ. And you move into that through faith by obeying God and being immersed into him. Gary? The faith of Christ. Uh, to try to uh, condense that to a, a nugget, it may not be possible. Was it his faith that the Father would raise him from the dead? Yes. Was that the faith of Christ that yes. he would be raised since he had not gone through death before? This was a new thing for him. Remember this from last time? No, you may not have been here, Gary. And we saw Sunday morning in Johnny's class, this was prophesied. The Messiah would be a human being. And from the time he was born until the day he was crucified, he developed faith as a human being. Where did he learn that his father would raise him from the dead? Was he supernaturally zapped with that information? No. He learned it, according to Peter. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but this will be review when we get to it. Where did he learn it? I beheld the Lord always before my face, for, for he is at my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh also shall dwell in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul unto Hades, neither wilt thou give thy Holy One to see corruption. Where does that come from? That is a psalm. That is a messianic psalm. That is God in his word making a promise to his Messiah. And Jesus read that and by faith believed the truth. And even though he was in the garden, and I'm not a doctor, maybe we have a doctor in here, but there, I've been told by a preacher somewhere <laughs> that you, you can be so stressed, you're, you're physiologically, you can become so stressed, say it, and you sweat blood. You think he was zapped with supernatural faith? Hogwash. He was in a crisis of faith as a human being. And yet, did he give in to sin? He did not. He had perfect human faith. Therefore, he rendered unto God a perfect, obedient faith. Faith, first time it had ever happened, and the only time it had ever happened. 
And it is now the basis of God being able to grant His righteousness to sinners. But I like Gary's illustration. Okay. And I'm bringing it specifically to a point that the faith of Christ was in the resurrection. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. He did sweat that. Yes, he did. Okay. We're going to be able to finish this section and nothing more. Okay, so this proposal, is it coherent? Is it comprehensive? Let's move. So I'm moving from coherent to comprehensive. Does it make sense of the verses? Does it count for all the New Testament speech? What about Ephesians 2.8? What does Ephesians 2.8 say about saving faith? This is a very challenging verse. I've sat through a lot of Bible classes and I walked out and I said, it just doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, you explained it, but it, your explanation doesn't work. Let me show you why. Source of our salvation, grace. Instrument of our salvation, faith. What is the verse talking about? The verse is talking about saving faith. Faith that saves you. Hence the name of the title of my book. Salvation, Rethinking, Saving Faith, and Christian Baptism. Why is this verse so challenging? Well, what does it say? It says that faith, whatever faith it's talking about is not from you, sinful human beings. It is the gift of God. Grammatically, what is it talking about? Faith does not, whatever this faith is, does not come from you. This faith that saves you does not come from you. It is a gift from God. Now, what are our options? Well, your options are one, Calvin's right. It's talking about a sinner's faith in Christ, right? Logically concludes that predestination or hyper-Calvinism is being revealed. Sinful human beings are incapable of making choices because we've fallen, and so sin has destroyed our free will, and therefore God in His sovereignty, which is the emphasis of all Calvinism, makes the choice for us and infuses faith into those whom He chooses, the elect. I mean, that's their standard proof text, right? Well, that's one option. How many want to go with that option? Okay, here's another option. It's not talking about faith. Hmm. This, and this is the thesis, one of the main keys to my book that I want you to get before this quarter's over. Here's what I'm saying. The mistake we have made is we have bought into the post-Reformation definition of saving faith, that it is a sinner's faith in Christ. So we go with that. If it's a still a sinner's faith in Christ, it creates a grammatical nightmare for the teacher, right? But here's the explanation. Oh, salvation in general. See, it's talking about human redemption is a free gift from God, not the individual faith of an individual human being. Whew, dodged a bullet. How many want to go with that explanation? Yeah, that's the only explanation, right? 
Well, that's the only explanation I've ever heard. Because no church I've ever been to is teaching Calvinism. And so, oh, it's not talking about faith. It's talking about salvation in general. The problem is, grammatically, it doesn't work. Right? I mean, it's a fiction to get us off the hook. Grammatically, what is the verse saying? It's saying that saving faith doesn't come from you. Saving faith is a free gift from God. Now, we have to explain the verse. And this doesn't explain it. English grammar creates a nightmare. So it's not a solution. You have to ignore the grammar. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, this what in English teachers? This what, what is, to, to what is, what's the precedent preceding for this? It is the given. What is the preceding for this? Antecedent. Faith. English grammar, you're stuck. The verse is teaching that saving faith doesn't come from you. Posit a question here. Yeah. Going the way I'm reading this, it's just this what comes into my head. Is that this saving faith, that would be to me, it seems like that because it's a gift of God, that it was Christ. Thank you. You're on my team. Everybody who's on my team comes sit Dodged up here. Dodged a bullet. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that's not our normal explanation. Why? Because our normal explanation begins with the assumption that anytime Paul mentions faith, it is a sinner's faith in Christ. And there is no other available category. And so we begin the argument with the wrong, faulty assumption. Saving faith is a gift from God. That's what the grammar. Now here, here's a, and again, we've got 15 minutes. I'll try to skim through this. Here's a, the Greek grammar. I've read a lot of commentaries. And they say, oh, the answer isn't in English grammar. The, the answer is in the Greek grammar. Oh, whew, we're going to dodge a bullet. Well, why? Because the demonstrative pronoun this in English is tuto in Greek, and it's neuter. Uh-oh, now we're getting into gender, which we don't have in English. So we're getting into an area that we're completely unfamiliar with. All of the possible antecedents, the thing to which this refers, are feminine. Therefore, it can't be referring to faith. Whew, dodged a bullet. Right? Still doesn't work. Look, here's Bill Mounts, okay? He's the guru, and he's a grammarian, okay? He's not a theologian. He is a Greek, an expert in Greek grammar. Here's what he says. If you look backwards from Ephesians 2.8 for an antecedent, you will look in vain. There are neuter nouns in the verses preceding, but they make no sense as an antecedent. This is not of yourselves, does not refer specifically to Pistuo's faith, but rather to the in, entire salvific process. It is the entire salvific process that is God's gracious gift and not a part of our own doing. It is a gift. Dodged a bullet, right? I mean, here's Dr. Bill Mounts, the Greek grammarian of all Greek grammarians, who says it's not referring to faith. 
Are we off the hook? Not on your life. Because Dr. Mounts knows, as a grammarian, that this salvific process includes faith, obviously, in the grammar of the sense. So either way, you English, Greek, Latin, you have the verse saying that whatever this faith is that saves you is not from you. It is a gift from God. And we have to explain that. So how do we explain that? Let me, let me show you this. Okay. The neuter uh, is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Grace, the word grace is feminine. The word faith is feminine. The salvation process is a constructed verbal phrase with no gender. And so the neuter is used because it's referring to the, 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 a, a verbal phrase. And so the salvation, the problem is, salvation process includes both grace and faith. So again, I'm saying, on the, according to the grammar of the sense, it includes faith. Let me give you an English, let me give you an English example, all right? See if I can make this simpler by using English. We do this in English, but we don't notice. Why? Because we don't have gender in our language. Everybody know Spanish? Little bit. You remember this whole thing about gender? I mean, my wife took great offense at the fact that la basura is feminine. The trash is feminine. Yeah, but all our doctors are feminine and even the male doctors are feminine. So. All right, let me give you, okay, the woman, Mary, feminine, right? So if we want to refer to the woman, Mary, we say she. Okay, so there's gender, right? The woman, Jane, feminine. We want to refer to Jane, feminine, she, right? The woman, Sally, I'm very creative with my names, right? Okay, but what if we want to talk about all three of them together? The group, right? We construct a word grammatically that represents all three. The group, which it has no gender, and we do that in English. The group, it. So we could use the sentence, the group is highly gifted. It is a blessing to its profession. The group of women. Right? But here's the thing. Are we no longer talking about Sally? Are we no longer talking about Jane? Are we no longer talking about Mary? Just because we've changed gender? We've made it neuter? Who is highly gifted? Is Mary? Is Jane? Is Sally? It's the same thing happening in the Greek in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, through faith, you've been saved, and it, this, this what? This grace, and this faith, and this salvation, all three, none of it comes from you. It's a gift from God. So grace alone cannot save you. No faith alone cannot save you. No. 
just like Mary alone is not highly gifted. <coughs> As a group, working with others. <coughs> okay, everybody see my point? So what we've got to do is we've got to explain Ephesians 2.8. And if we go with the post-Reformation definition of saving faith, we only have two options. Either Calvinism is correct, or the verse is not talking about faith. Even though it says faith. The first is theologically unacceptable, to me at least, and the second is grammatically impossible in any language and in every language. So is my proposal comprehensive? Does it take in Paul's other statements about saving faith? Well, sure it does. Does Paul believe justification by faith? Of course he does. He just makes a distinction between a sinner's faith, what it does, or what it ought to do, and Christ's faith, what it does. <clears throat> so a sinner's faith moves him into Christ, and once a sinner is in Christ, the faith of Christ makes him or her righteous. All right, you've been very, very... Um, you have been very, very patient. I know I keep telling you in the hall, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? I mean, I've been... I've been dealing with this for 40 years. But I think we need to continue to wrestle with this. Paul's statement in Ephesians 2.8 is in perfect harmony with his theology of justification by faith. Faith makes you righteous? You bet faith makes you righteous. Does your faith make you righteous? No. Your faith moves you into Christ where what he accomplished makes you righteous. Now, some people may say that's a distinction without a difference or it makes no difference. It makes all the difference in the world to me. All the difference in the world. So let's, uh, let's, let's close the class. We've got about six minutes. Let's, let's wind it up with some quotes. Um, I'll let your brains have a little bit of rest. Here's what they're trying to say. Here's, and again, this is not um, some, some you know, backwater podunk uh, guys who sort of think they know what they're taught. These are some outstanding New Testament scholars of our day that are saying these things. So I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, this is Luke Timothy Johnson. Um, At the heart of the story of Jesus is the faith of the Messiah. Paul does believe that humans are put into right relationship with God through faith, it's just not through their own faith, but through the faith of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Over here, he says, um, uh, I don't think I need to give you any background here. He, uh, yeah, so he goes, he goes into, he, this is Luke Timothy Johnson writing the preface to Richard B. Hayes' book. Richard B. Hayes wrote it as a doctoral uh, dissertation back in 81 and uh, Erdman's published it as a book in the 2000 whatever it was 2005 or whatever um, and so they asked Luke Timothy Johnson will you please write a preface to it he says Hayes considers in turn three efforts at cracking uh, Paul's dense argumentation 
in Galatians. That's the, that's the context. He's dealing with this um, section of Galatians 3, 1 through 4, 1, 4, 11, which is where, where we're working. Um, and he goes here to name them, you know, but he says, Hayes recognizes that each of these suggestions contributes something, but falls short of grasping the real point of the passage. And that's exactly what I'm trying to say. The real point of the passage is to clarify the import of the story of how God has made humans righteous through the faith of the Messiah, Jesus. That's what this book is all about. It goes on to say, I love this. What holds Galatians, this section together, is a story. It's a story in which Paul and his readers have been caught up. We are participants of this story. And that's the emphasis I keep making. What happened on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and these people had just experienced God's work on the earth, right? Jesus of Nazareth, this little boy, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, comes to uh, to the, to the Jewish people about three years ago. He starts making all kinds of waves with all kinds of people. Suddenly we hear they're crucifying him. Now, what are we going to make of that story? And what they probably made of it is, well, somewhere along the line, he broke a few Roman rules, laws, and he was crucified for being a Roman criminal. I mean, <laughs> meet me at the coffee shop. Let's go. You know, what big deal. It happens every day. Peter stands up and says, wait a minute. I want to give you a different take on that story. Jesus of Nazareth, the little boy born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, who came down here a few years ago and started making a stir through his preaching and his miracle working, he never committed a crime against the Roman government. Furthermore, he never committed a sin, not one. And so what God was doing in accordance with Scripture, and they opened the Old Testament and began to explain from all of these things that God had been saying through the centuries, that this one human being was an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all human beings. And when they heard that, they said, whoa, forget the coffee shop. I want to get in on that story. I want to participate in what God is doing in that story. And that is exactly Paul's theology. And he says that we now... <clears throat> are participating in that. We've been caught up into that and Christ is not only the ground of their salvation. Look at this. This is not a Church of Christ guy. But what is he saying? You see where this understanding takes you through baptism. Paul's readers have come to participate in the story. 
of Jesus. And this kind of language is becoming very common. And again, I say, brothers and sisters in the churches of Christ, we ought to stop throwing rocks and talking about people and get out there and start talking with people because they're starting to say some things that are very familiar to our ears. And I think we could have a tremendous influence on them. I'll quit with this, okay? I wish I had made a copy of it, I didn't. I was back in Virginia seeing my granddaughter and through the grace of God I have a, uh, I was grandfathered in. The Union Theological Seminary there in in, uh, Richmond, Virginia has one of the most outstanding theological libraries in the nation. And I have a card that I can go in. Um, It's now $500, some astronomical amount, but I was grandfathered in. So until I die, I have this card that I can check books out. Well, I checked books out, I brought them home, I made copies of them, and I shipped them back to um, Jennifer, my friend. But I I didn't copy this one. It was a big, thick book, uh, big, big, thick book of essays. And one of the essays was by a Baptist who was arguing for this view of Christian baptism. And it was a, the chapter was the Campbellites. And in there he says, lo and behold, it turns out that the Campbellites have been saying this all along. (laughs) I gotta get that quote. I gotta get that quote and put it in my book. But that's my point. That's the reason I'm writing the book. I think we need to present ourselves in a way that people will say, wow, that makes sense. And you know, N.T. Wright's saying it. Luke Timothy Johnson's saying it. Richard B. Hayes is saying it. This isn't a quirky little idea from this quirky little sectarian group that thinks they're the only ones going to heaven. This really is something we need to consider in our understanding of what Paul is teaching about salvation by faith. Let me lead us in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for allowing us to read and study. I want to thank you for Jesus Christ and him crucified and what you accomplished through him. Being able to, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to because of my faith and my obedience, as pathetic and pitiful as my faith and obedience are, I have done what you've said to do, and I have been immersed into Christ. And in that moment, you put my sins on his cross, and you put his righteousness in me. And I claim that uh, not because of anything I've done, or not because of the name that I call my church that I attend, but I claim that because of your promise to do that. And I praise you for having accomplished that. And I praise you for who you are and your grace and your mercy. And I ask you to bless us as we leave this place tonight and bless those that we've prayed for who are suffering with ailments and other infirmities and bring us back to be together again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. 
Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.